Good morning, First Church family. We're so glad that you're joined us, joining us for worship again this morning on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. We hope you have an enjoyable day today with your family. At this time, we're going to start our service with a prelude. Welcome once again to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. Uh, A couple announcements I want to share with you as we get our service started here. First, as we've been saying all along, our bulletin is available on our church website, firstchurchnk.org. I encourage you to to log on to uh, download a copy of the bulletin so you can follow along with our service of worship here this morning. Um, There's several announcements and more information in the bulletin there as well. I encourage you to check that out. One of the things you will find in the bulletin is some information that goes along with a letter that I sent out earlier this week to our church membership. Uh, This letter uh, talked about kind of giving the church an update on where we are in terms of uh, handling um, our 
church ministry here during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we sent that out on Wednesday, um, and it talked about um, some some things that that will. Uh, things that will look different when we are able to resume our church services again. Um, and of course, we sent that out the day before the governor gave some new updated guidelines. And so I uh, just want to encourage you to read that letter if you if you received in the mail. Um, if you didn't, there's some um, some highlights in the bulletin here today. So you can get on and take a look at that as well. Um, and uh, we will be talking and continuing to work towards reopening church and worshiping together in person again when the right time comes. Uh, Spiritual Council does meet again tomorrow night, and that'll be one of our topics of discussion is trying to set a target date for us to once again worship together in person as a church family. And as I said in that letter, and as, as uh, will continue to be the case no matter when we open, is we want to continue to meet your needs as, as individuals, as families, uh, even as we transition back into in-person worship services. And so what that means for you is that uh, when, when we do resume in-person worship, you're welcome to join us. Uh, we're going to encourage um, safe social distancing practices here at the church and all of that. Sort of the, some of those details are spelled out in the letter. Um, but it also means that if you're not ready to come back, if you would rather stay home and continue to worship with us through the radio or through Facebook Live, you are more than welcome to do that as well. Whatever decision you make, uh, we want you to make one that's best for you, your family, um, and, and for your health. And uh, whatever you do, know that we are in this together as a church family, and we will continue to worship with you, um, whether you're here in person or joining us uh, virtually through through the radio and through Facebook Live. So uh, we will let you, as a church family, know what our plans are as soon as we know. Um, and, and again, we ask for um, just your prayers and your continued grace as we navigate the situation together as a church. Uh, with that, I would encourage you to just continue to um, look at the announcements that are in your bulletin. Uh, and at this time, I want to invite Pastor Tori forward for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 109, verses 21 through 31. But you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like locusts. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me in accordance with your love. Let them know that it is your hand that you, O Lord, have done it. They may curse you, but you will bless. When they attack, they will be put to shame, but your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng, I will praise him, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save his life from those who condemn him. And now we will sing hymn number 76, O Four Thousand Tongues. The words are printed in your bulletin.
this time, I want to invite forward Mrs. Lammers for children's chat. Thank you for being here again and sharing the love of Jesus with the children that are watching at home or listening on the radio. This is like the highlight of my week. I love to see my little people. Even though I can't see you, I know that you see me and I hear that you get excited when you see me on Facebook and that makes my heart very happy. So first, little people, what day is it today? It's Mother's Day. Did you remember to tell Mom Happy Mother's Day? Well, I brought some things with me that remind me of Mom's. I have a measuring cup because Mom's like to bake and make things. My mom is pretty good at it. I brought with me some markers because moms love to color. Bring her a coloring book and ask her to color. She'll love it. Um, brought my gardening gloves. Even though it's not really gardening weather quite yet, we hope to get there soon. But you like to help mom in the garden? What about playing games, card games? Those are fun and those remind us of mom. Um, some moms like to do crafts and quilts, and my mom loves to piece quilts. And so this, when I think of my mom, this is what I think of. I think of her making everybody things. And moms like books. Or this mom likes books anyways. I like to read. I like to read to little people. I like to read for myself. And so those are all things that we think about when we think about mom and, and her special day. So I have a question. Did you give mom a hug today? Is she there with you? Go give her a hug. Tell her happy Mother's Day. Tell her thank you for taking good care of you. And remember that God made moms and we need to take care of them and give them hugs and cuddle with them and just let them know that they are doing an awesome job. All right, so let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for moms. Thank you for all they do for us and how they teach us and have patience with us. Lord, keep them healthy, keep them safe. And kids, give mom an extra special day today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Maria. What a great message for us today on Mother's Day. God that certainly has has blessed us with, with wonderful mothers, and we want to, to bless them today and honor them today. We do want to also, um, well, before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I uh, just want to again remind us to be continually praying for those that have uh, lost their lives and their families uh, during uh, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Worldwide, as of yesterday, 274,749 individuals have died, and right here in the United States, 77,180. Um, for, for many, we may not know those uh, people individually. Maybe we do. Um, and, and, but each one of those numbers represents a, fa- represents a person, represents a family who has lost a loved one. Uh, and so we ask uh, now that you pray for, for those individuals, for those families, and ask for God's comfort and peace to be with them. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father God, on this day, we ask once again, as we've been asking week in and week out and day in and day out, for your healing hand to be upon those who are, who are fighting this disease. We pray for those who are sick, that you would heal them. We pray for strength, for lungs, for hearts, for minds. 
We pray, Lord, that you would give doctors and healthcare workers and other hospital staff wisdom on how to, how to handle, how to treat those that are in their care. And Lord, we thank you for the many, many, many people who have been, uh, who have put themselves in, in harm's way in order to help those who are in need. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would, you would bless them and honor the sacrifice that they make this day. Lord, we, uh, we also on, on this day, on Mother's Day, we want to pray for our moms. We want to say thank you for blessing us with, with mothers who care and provide for their families. Lord, we ask that you would be with the moms today. Guide them, uh, equip them, especially, Lord, um, these last couple, last weeks, last couple months may not have been easy on them. Uh, whether they've taken on a new responsibility of, of teaching their kids school at home uh, or just trying to balance the work life, family life um, uh, responsibilities, Lord. It has certainly not been an easy couple months. And so we pray a special extra blessing uh, for, for the moms out there who are, who are maybe struggling or who, are, uh, who need a bit of encouragement today. We pray that you would provide that, Lord. On Mother's Day, Lord, we can't help but also think of those who long to have children but cannot for whatever reason, Lord. We pray for, uh, for comfort, for your spirit to just be a, a source of strength for them on this day as well. We pray for grandmothers who, are, who have not been able to visit and spend time with their grandchildren recently. Uh, perhaps those that are, that are isolated in nursing homes or, or separated by physical distance, Lord, during this time of social distancing. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would comfort grandmothers and great-grandmothers as well. Lord, uh, mothers provide an excellent example of what, what your compassion and what your care looks like. And we thank you for their example. And, and Lord, on this day, help us to, to see you at work in, in, in that, Lord. That it is your love and your compassion that, that these mothers point to. And Lord, we, we ask for your love and compassion to be with all of us, especially in difficult times, especially during this difficult season that we are that we are all going through as a, as a nation, as a world, as as individuals, may we lean into your love. May we lean into your comfort and your compassion, which only you can provide. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts." As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Seems like no matter how long I'm here at the church, I still revert back to the trespasses instead of the debts. But that's okay. I'm sure many of you do, too, as well. Um, at this time, I want to invite you to sing with us once again. We have, we have two hymns we're going to sing, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, a great hymn about prayer and our need to, to look to Jesus and, and f- keep our focus on him. And then we will sing the doxology, something we're so used to singing together as a church on a regular basis that we have not had a chance to recently. So we will be singing those two songs here together.
Amen. Amen. It's good to hear those words again. Some uh, think there's been a lot that we have as a church family been blessed with during these past eight or nine weeks. I've kind of lost count now at this point how long we've been doing church this way. Uh, we've been blessed to keep a relative amount of of consistency, of normalcy. Uh, because of our radio ministry, because of the ability to go on Facebook Live, we've been able to, at least for Sunday mornings, uh, continue to worship together in, in a very similar way that we are used to doing before this all all took place. Now, of course, there's some things that we can't replicate. We can't replicate the, the fellowship that takes place right before and after the service, or the, the shaking of hands, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, we've certainly been missing some aspects of the service, like our choir and not being able to have them participate regularly um, as they normally would. Uh, but there are some things that we can we can still include. And one of those things was the, the doxology. As I was preparing for the service this week, I was reminded that of, of how such a regular part of our service that normally is. That or some other uh, songs of praise that we usually sing after we collect the offering. And, and I thought it would be good for us, even in the midst of uh, trying times, to remember that it is important for us to praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, he is the one who is the source of all good things. And he is the one who is our source of strength, even in hard times like we are all experiencing. So um, thank you, Jaron and, and, and Eric and the rest of you that were able to, to provide that music for us today. Just a, a great piece to, to reflect on and to be thankful for. Uh, today, we are going to be looking at a passage from 2 Corinthians, but it is not the one that I have listed for you in the bulletin. Um, kind of going throughout the week, preparing for this message here today, uh, I, I decided yesterday to, to kind of take something, take this in a little different direction. So we're still going to be talking about um, the importance of not losing heart, of keeping our focus on the Lord. Uh, but instead of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along as we read Scripture together, I encourage you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 11. Um, as, I've, as you turn there, um, I know it's kind of maybe out of the ordinary to, to change a passage like this. Uh, you know, it happens from time to time. And as I was thinking about whether I should do this or not, I thought, you know what? Um, there's no one here to stop me. So we can, uh, we can certainly change things up as needed. Um, but I definitely think that, that God has something for us here in this passage. Um, and I, I feel like... Um, this is a, as a word for us all to hear together this morning. So if you've got your Bibles now, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is Paul writing, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you, just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, 
but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we will continue, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us, granted us an answer to the prayers of many. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of all comfort and of all compassion. Help us to, to rely on that now. As we talk today about what it means to find comfort in the midst of our suffering, to find hope in you, help us, Lord, uh, to do that ourselves, not just hear it, not just think about it, but go to you, the source of all comfort and compassion. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide our hearts and minds now. I pray that you would give me words to speak and that, that we, would, um, we would see your glory and your word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be, uh, as, as you can, as I've kind of already talked about and alluded to, and we see here in the text, we're going to be talking about, about the relationship between, between suffering and comfort. Paul here talks about where our comfort ultimately comes from. But in order to truly understand what that comfort looks like and how we can experience it for ourselves, we must first be able to acknowledge the reality of suffering. In, the, in that we as Christians share in the suffering of Christ, as he says here in this passage. You see, I don't think it's, it's hard for us now to imagine, right, what, it, what that means for us. Right? Going in a, in a, living in a world where uh, we are hearing about uh, the spread of this virus and, and, and hearing, at least from an arm's distance, what it may seem about, about people who are, who are sick and people who are dying. And in one sense, we may seem maybe isolated from the reality of this, but none of us are unaffected. And whether you or not you know someone who has contracted COVID-19 and, and, and has uh, battled that, um, I'm sure you know someone who knows someone. Uh, we, are, we are not very far separated from the reality of this pandemic, um, even in rural Ohio, right? It is still right there at our doorstep. And so, uh, and, and of course, not just the, the direct implications of living in a pandemic, of, of possibly contracting a virus that can be damaging to our health or even our own lives. Uh, there's also the, the uh, for lack of a better term, maybe side effects or unintended consequences of battling this pandemic. Many, many people are out of work, are, are, are not able to provide for their families in the way that they are used to providing. Uh, many small business owners are struggling with the reality of, 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 of shops being closed down and the uncertainty of when those things can start up again or what it will look like when they do resume business. Uh, many people are, who are unemployed are, are unable to get the unemployment insurance that they need and, and are struggling to get in contact with the people they need to get in contact with. And, and there's a whole air of uncertainty around that as well. Not to mention that just our normal experience of life over these past couple months has changed dramatically. And so to talk about the reality of suffering when things are going well, right, may seem um, a, a nice exercise in hypothetical thinking. But now it is a reality for, for many of us in, to one degree or another. 
And so it's important for us to, to maybe, to, to, in order to understand the comfort that God can provide at a time like this, we need to take a step back and acknowledge the reality of suffering as well. You see, Paul can't talk about a God of comfort and a God of compassion unless he himself understood what suffering was like. And until he was in a time of need when he had to depend on God's comfort and compassion. You see, that's the, the starting point here with this passage. We can't truly understand God's comfort until we understand what it means to suffer. And so Paul said, talks about how we, 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 we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. When, when asked the question, when we ask the question, why am I suffering? Right? We usually go, we usually want to have an answer given to us that aligns with the idea of cause and effect, cause and effect, right? I did something bad. Therefore, I deserve to have this bad thing happen to me. Or I do something good. Therefore, I deserve to have good things happen to me, right? That's a very simple point of view. And in one way, it would be wonderful if the world worked that way, because then we could wrap our minds around the suffering we experience. It must be my fault because I did something wrong. You see, that 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 whole idea falls apart when we look at the life of Christ himself. And the fact that that when we are in Christ, when we have a relationship with him, it doesn't mean that our suffering is removed or negated, but it means that it takes on new meaning and new purpose. But certainly because it does not mean that because we are children of God does not mean that we do not share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul in in Romans chapter eight, uh, which is a chapter that I've been referencing quite a bit lately, but it's been so important for for our understanding of what it means to go through a time like this. Uh, Romans eight verses 14 through 17 uh, talk about about uh, sharing in Christ's sufferings as well. In that passage, Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we must also share in his glory. You see, you notice there, Paul, Paul's talking about the, how, how, the, how we are children of God, that, that through Christ we have been brought into God's family, and we are now heirs along with Christ of God's, uh, of God's goodness, of his glory. And, and that means that we have the hope of one day of living with him and, and spending eternity with him. But that doesn't exclude us then, from the reality of suffering in this world. It says, in fact, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. All right, so the question isn't necessarily why am I suffering because, because we, don't, we don't get simple answers to that question. God doesn't give us easy answers like that. The question we should ask instead is, what is God doing in the midst of my suffering? Right, what is God, how is God working in me, in my circumstances, in my situation, in the midst of what is going on. And I believe Jesus' uh, his suffering teaches us many things, but among them are, are two I want to highlight for us today. One is that suffering is not directly linked to sin. We talked about this a little bit already. right? Suff- there is no one-to-one correspondence between our sin, our bad decisions, our mistakes, and the suffering that we experience in this life. 
Jesus suffered, yet he did not sin himself. There's a story in John chapter 9. It's quite a long story, but I want to just highlight the first couple verses for you. Jesus and his disciples encounter a man as they were traveling who was born blind. And picking up in in John chapter 9, verse 2, it says his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, it makes sense, right? We, we think if the world works on a, an idea of one-to-one correspondence between sin and suffering, then it just makes sense for the disciples to look at this man who was born blind and say, what did he do wrong to deserve that? Or maybe it was his parents. Maybe they did something wrong to deserve a child who was born blind. But Jesus completely destroys that that logic, right? He completely obliterates that way of thinking. He says it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his parents' fault, right? He was born blind so that God may be glorified in and through him, so that the works of God may be displayed in him, right? That When we have a mindset like that, it completely changes our perspective on suffering. And so again, when you're suffering, don't ask, what did I do to deserve this? Instead, we should ask, how can God use these circumstances to make me more like Christ and to bring glory to himself? Think of the example of, of Job, right? This Old Testament figure, uh, one of the most well-known figures in the Old Testament, and he's known for the suffering that he experienced. And if you look at the story of Job, we see that in the, in the opening chapter there, there's this scene that takes place in heaven where, where Satan, the enemy, wants to wants to see Job suffer because he thinks that if Job suffers if he loses everything then he will curse God that the only reason he loves God the only reason he's righteous and faithful is because God has blessed him abundantly and so Satan says take that all away and he'll be exposed as a liar he'll be exposed as the fraud that he is he only loves you because of what you've done for him and so what we see in in the book of Job is that God allowed Satan to to persecute Job. He allowed Satan to take all of those things away. He took away his family. He took away his wealth. He took away his health even. But in his suffering, God, God, excuse me, God allowed his suffering to prove the exact opposite. In his suffering, Job wasn't proved to be a fraud, but, it, but, but God allowed Job's suffering in order to grow his trust in him, to prove his, that his faith was genuine and true. And I believe that's why God allows us to experience suffering as well. Why we go through difficult times. Because, because God wants to use those situations to grow our trust in Him. You see, there's no easy, clear-cut answer as to why we suffer. But in our suffering, we must never doubt God's love for us. It's God's love that, that, that strengthens us and brings us comfort and even joy in the midst of our suffering. The second thing that Jesus' suffering teaches us, and it's very closely connected to the first point, is that Jesus did not suffer so that we would not suffer. Right? His suffering does not negate the very real pain and the sorrow that you experience in this world. No, Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer, but he suffered so that you would not suffer in vain. Those two words are very important, right? It's so that Jesus suffered so that we would not suffer in vain. Jesus suffered so that he could redeem our suffering. 
We share in His suffering because His suffering redeems us. It rescues us from the the misconception that this life and what we experience in this life is all that there is. It gives us hope that though we waste away, God is still good and Christ is still King. And so to share in Christ's suffering is to experience hardship as a result of our commitment to Him, as a result of our of our living for Him. Right? And that doesn't encompass all suffering that we experience in this life. Right? Some suffering, some hardship, some pain is the direct result of living in a broken world uh, that, is, that is affected by sin. Right? Not all suffering we experience is a direct result of some sort of persecution or anything like that. Your decisions or the decisions of others have a direct result, have a direct uh, connection at times to the suffering and heartache that we experience. As a wise person once said, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is you're dumb and you make bad decisions, right? That's the reality of the world that we live in. Sometimes we do things that directly lead to our own heartache or, or the suffering of others. But there are times when our suffering, our, our experience of hardship is not connected to any anything like that or any, any direct connection in this world. Sometimes the suffering we experience is a result of our commitment to follow Christ. And Paul knew that better than anyone else. Throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, throughout this letter, he shares about that suffering that he experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he, he talks about, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, he talks about we have this treasure, speaking of the hope in Christ and the truth of the gospel. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then later in the letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes on to then list those things, almost as if they were qualifications on a resume. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, looking at verses 21 through 30, I'm going to pick up uh, kind of in the middle of that. Uh, he, he begins to boast about like his qualifications, and then he, then he goes on to say, uh, beginning in verse 23, he says, I am more... I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashings minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city in danger in the country, in danger in sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? See, Paul experienced hardship. He experienced the suffering that comes with, with a life committed and devoted to Christ. 
But even in the end, he says, all of that is worth it because he has a compassion and he cares about the churches that he was serving. And he empathized with the suffering that they too were experiencing. So to share in the sufferings of Christ is to, is to, to experience hardship as a result of living in a world that rejected Christ, but living for him. The question then is, okay, so, so we've talked about suffering a lot. We've talked about the downside of, of this passage a lot. So what, what is this comfort that Paul is talking about here? He talks about the comfort and compassion that he receives from God. Well, first of all, in one sense, this, this compassion, excuse me, this comfort is deliverance out of affliction. Look at, again, at verse 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And so there are times in this world where we are suffering, we are going through hardship and we pray to God and, and seek him out and he does deliver us from those things. People are healed. Uh, uh, fortunes are, are in a sense reversed, right? You're, you're out, of, out of work and looking for a job and God provides a way for you to provide for your family, right? Those are all examples of God delivering us out of affliction or out of suffering. And that is certainly something that God calls us to pray for and, and depend on him for. But it's also the testimony of scripture that that is not going to be God's answer to our prayers all of the time. Deliverance out of affliction is one way that God brings us comfort, but not the only way. I, I believe more often than not, the comfort we experience is deliverance in the midst of our affliction. In other words, comfort and strength and, and, and patient endurance in the midst of our circumstances. Right? Not the removal of our circumstances, but the strengthening of, of us in the midst of those things. And again, 2 Corinthians provides an example for what that looks like. And that is in chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. A very, very familiar passage to many people. This is Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh, which he describes as a messenger of Satan. Right? He says there's, he doesn't get into specifics about what this is, but whatever this thorn in his flesh is, whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's a situational or circumstantial um, uh, hardship that he's experiencing, Whatever it is, it's causing him real pain and real suffering. And so it says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Right, what's the secret here that Paul is alluding to? It's not that God will solve all of our problems and wipe away all of our hardship. No, it says that even in the midst of those things, God will give us the strength to endure. That, uh, that God's grace, His love, His mercy is all we need as we face these difficult times. can't help but, but look at this passage and look at this idea here from the perspective of as a parent, right? And, and we've all seen, you know, different parenting methods and different ways of, of handling situations, right? And, and in recent years, you've heard talk of, of the idea of helicopter parents and lawnmower parents, right? 
Helicopter parents are the ones that hover over everything their kids are doing and, and watch over them like a hawk and make sure that they um, kind of can swoop in and take care of any problems that they face. Lawnmower parents take that another step further. They just mow down any problems before their kids even reach them, just try to remove any obstacles out of the way. Uh, so that their so that their kids never experience hardship or never experience difficult situations. But I believe both of those perspectives are missing missing something. Right, the goal of parenting should be to prepare your children for life and to provide them the tools to handle whatever they face, not removing the obstacles, but in equipping them and encouraging them to en- engage them in a way that that they can succeed and do well in life. And I believe God wants the same for us. See, God, God could, he could snap his fingers and remove all of our obstacles, remove all of our suffering. But in doing so, he removes the opportunity for us to grow and mature in Christ. He gives us instead the grace and the comfort that we need in the midst of our suffering so that we can endure. And then we can take that and help, take that experience and help others. So that's the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about here. What is the source of our comfort? If, if, if suffering is the normal and real experience of believers in this world, and, and if the kind of comfort that Paul receives is, is sometimes deliverance out of affliction, but, but more often than not is, is deliverance in the midst of affliction, where is that comfort coming from? Well, we see here again, back to our main passage today that that comfort is from God himself. He is the source of our comfort. And it's specifically his faithfulness in general, excuse me, his faithfulness in general and the example of the resurrection of Christ in particular that demonstrates his faithfulness for us. I love the passage from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is a, is a letter, it was a book written by the prophet Jeremiah lamenting over the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And it's this, uh, it's it's basically one long prayer to God about this heartache and hardship that, that God's people are going through. And then buried right in the center of the book, and in chapter 3, verses 20 through two, 22 and 23, is this beautiful picture of, of God's faithfulness. The prophet Jeremiah says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, that's the, that's the key, isn't it? it it's, it's, it's God's love, it's God's faithfulness that provides the comfort that we need. It's, it's God, and, and God's faithfulness in the past is, is a guarantee of his faithfulness in the future, right? He doesn't change. So where God has been faithful to us in the past, he will continue to be faithful to us in the present and will be faithful to us in the future. Because it's not, not based on us and our circumstances, but based on God and his character. And he is faithful. Because of his love, it says, we are not consumed. Right? Isn't that the first thing that we usually doubt when we suffer? We doubt that God really loves us. The enemy would like nothing more than for us to doubt God's love, for us to doubt the, the, the magnitude and, the, and, and the, the magnitude and the power of God's love in our lives. Because his love is what makes all the difference. It is his love, it's God's love for us that comforts us. And it's his love that strengthens us and protects us even as we suffer. 
Specifically, then, the resurrection is the greatest demonstration of God's love and his faithfulness. And that's what Paul is pointing to here. We suffer with Christ so that we may also live with him. See, the resurrection is a promise. It's a promise that the worst thing that can ever happen to you, death itself, for the believer will only lead into the presence of God. That even as this life ends, eternal life in Christ continues on. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Paul understood that, that even with the suffering and the hardship he was experiencing in this world, the moment that was all over, even with the worst outcome possible, it would just mean a transition into God's glory and presence. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And it's God's faithfulness, his, his love, his, his presence in the midst of suffering that, that I have been going back to again and again and again uh, during this whole pandemic. And one of the passages, like Romans 8, that keeps coming up is Psalm 23. Familiar words here speaking of the love and the compassion that God has for us as our great shepherd. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, there's, there's God's faithfulness on display there, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the reason is because God is present in that valley. So God's faithfulness and his, his love is a source of comfort. But prayer is a source of comfort as well. I spoke on this in length last week, so I'll only touch on it now. Uh, but, but Paul here alludes to the importance of prayer in, in our comfort uh, he talks in, at the close, in, the, in those closing verses, he talks about how uh, that he had been helped by the prayers of the Corinthians. And, and, and many will then give thanks on behalf of the gracious favor granted to us in the answer to the prayers of many. Right? It was the prayers of God's people that made a difference for Paul as he was suffering and going through hard times. And so Paul not only prayed for others, but he also asked others to pray for him in return. And prayer is our, uh, again, it's our dependence on, on who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And so suffering can either drive you away from God or to him. Are you going to, as you hard, face hard times, is your first instinct to run away from God or to run to him? Do you believe that God is big enough to handle your complaints? Do you believe that God can handle it? I think he can. And so it's important for us to, to acknowledge the suffering, right? It's important to us to acknowledge the reality of the pain we experience because then and only then can we bring it to God. It says that in Second Corinthians 1 that Paul despaired for life even itself. He'd been given the sentence of death. You see, it does no good for us to sweep our pain under the rug. Like who are, who are we feel, fooling really? When we do that, we're only fooling ourselves because God is aware. He knows so in prayer, we can bring it to him 
And so respect him, respect God enough to be honest with how you're feeling. Another source of comfort here is friendship. You see, Paul here makes a connection between the suffering and the comfort he received and the suffering that his friends were going through. And he made a connection. He says, all right, I've, I've suffered. I've, gone, I've walked down this road. I've gone through this. I've learned what it means to experience God's compassion and comfort and order that so that I can share that comfort with others. Right? God places people in our lives to help us through hard times. We are comforted so that we can then comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So my question for you today is, is who is hurting around you? Who's suffering mentally, emotionally, materially, or physically? And how can you be a source of comfort for them? How can you be a source of joy, hope, and truth in the middle of their circumstances? Or maybe you're the one that's hurting. Maybe you're the one that's struggling. I encourage you this, today, this day to look for help. Reach out to those around you. One of the greatest weapons at the enemy's disposal is isolation and loneliness. We believe the lie that we're all alone, that, that no, one, no one knows what we're going through, and they wouldn't care even if they did. Right, that's a lie straight from the enemy. Reach out because God has placed people in your life to care for you and to be a source of comfort for you. And so the last thing that I want to share with you here today is the result of his comfort. We've seen the reality of suffering, right? The source of our comfort and now the result of our comfort. And there's two things that Paul says here that happen when we are able to experience God's comfort. And one is patient endurance. As we learn to, ex- to rely on God and experience his comfort, we, have, we, are, we receive the endurance that we need to face the hardships we're experiencing. Again, it's not necessarily that he removes the suffering, but that he gives us the endurance we need to, to make it through faithfully. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again there, it's, it's, it's we find endurance, we find strength, not in ourselves, but when we fix our eyes on Christ, when we learn to experience the comfort that he provides and the strength that he provides, it, it, and that is how we are able to not lose heart in the midst of suffering. And so he provides patient endurance as we learn to rely on him. And, and, and the second flows right out of that, maybe more generally speaking. But it, but it forces us, the suffering we experience and the comfort we receive from God forces us to rely on him all the more. In verse 9, it says that this happened. He despaired for life even itself. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, suffering forces us to turn to him. The comfort we experience in Christ causes us to rely on him all the more, to realize that we can't save ourselves, that we can't make it on our own, and we must rely on him for what we need. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-18. through 18. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not, what, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We can endure suffering even when we don't understand why it's happening because of Jesus. We can rely on God rather than ourselves because of what Jesus went through himself. We find comfort because Jesus suffered for us. The only person who never sinned, the only person who didn't deserve to suffer, suffered on our behalf. He died so that we can live. In closing, I want to remind you of question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is my only hope in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready for now on to live for him. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord God, we come to you in our time of need. We come to you for ourselves. We come to you with our own struggles, our own heartache, but we also come to you on behalf of our, of our brothers and sisters in Christ, of our family, Lord, who are also suffering. And we ask that you would comfort us by your presence and by your grace. Lord, we pray for deliverance out of our affliction if that is possible, but we also pray for deliverance within our affliction, that you would provide the grace and mercy that we need in all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing about the help that we receive from God. Uh, Our God, our help in ages past, the words are printed in your bulletin.
Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.